0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, December 19, 2021. The sheer ID numbers for Friday, December seventeenth, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 18,259, that's one eight. Two, five, nine, and for the 10 a m Eastern Big Book Study, eighteen thousand two hundred and sixty that's one eight two six zero. This morning, a vision for you presents a faith that works, powerless. In step one, we find complete despair, frustration, and bewilderment. The mental obsession condemns us to pick up that first bite when we don't want to. And the phenomenon of craving condemns us to continue eating once we start. We have no choice. Our efforts, our energy, and our desire have not delivered the hope for results. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, are not sufficient they failed utterly when we are driven to our knees by food and compulsive overeating we are made ready to ask for a solution the 12 steps
1: as outlined
0: in the big book represent a process of spiritual awakening our situation is not hopeless far from it there is hope But that hope lies outside ourselves. Lack of power is our dilemma. We have to find a power other than ourselves. The big book turns up the heat and gives us an ultimatum on page 53 by reminding us about our step one experience. Crushed by a self-imposed crisis that we have no power And we are going to live miserably. So we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? We are left with no wiggle room, no fallback position if we are looking for a faith that works. Joining us today to speak on this very topic is Matt J.F., a Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Kentucky. Matt is dedicated to the application of the 12 steps and the spiritual work entailed, as well as his dedication for generous service on a vision for you. And it's with great pleasure and appreciation, I welcome Matt J.F. to the line this morning. Good morning, Matt.
2: Good morning, Leah, and good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for that wonderful introduction and not only for introducing me but for shortcutting some of the things that I'm probably going to be referencing uh during this talk. uh I'm going to start just with a quick prayer. God, as always, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be of service this morning. I pray that you will guide my thoughts and my words to be of maximum service and usefulness to as many of my fellows as hear them as possible. And I trust that whatever is about to happen is exactly what's supposed to happen. Amen. So, um, it's worth noting that what you just heard me do is something that I had done um, maybe five, six, certainly less than 10 times in my entire life until I found my way into this program um and it's something that I now do every day uh, more or less at least once and often multiple times per day which is pray um so I thought I would uh quickly qualify and uh and and talk about the very improbable journey that I had into this program <clears throat> um I, mean, I know none of us wound up here by by design uh, or by like long set intent, um, but uh, yeah, I really had a lot of contempt prior to investigation overcome to wind up here. So uh, I am Matt J F as Joint fellowship. Uh, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, <clears throat> I am a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. And I know that all of my recovery comes from my faith that works for me. Um, There's that saying that the newcomer is the most important person in the room. And so since I don't know who's new and who's not, I just wanted to say a couple of things at the outset, uh, hopefully for the benefit of newcomers. The first one is um, if I did this or, or had this done to me, Anyone can. Doesn't mean it will happen, but it certainly can happen. Um, There's a saying, keep coming back until the miracle happens. Um, You know, uh, the way I I think about that is there's no guarantee that the miracle will happen while we keep coming back. But one thing I'm pretty sure of is that if I hadn't kept coming back, it wouldn't have. Um, And so if you're new, Keep coming back until the miracle happens. Um, I also want to emphasize that this is my experience, strength, and hope. And this is, I'm going to talk about the faith that works for me, not the faith that works. Um, If I, and I'm going to try and keep this in the first person, but if at any point I stray into saying you or we, please know that. My intent is not to pretend that I know what's true for anyone else, including you. Um, <clears throat> this is just what's true for me. So, uh, I am a true compulsive overeater. I was born to normal weight, more or less, um, but my weight slid steadily up the scale every day after that. I was fat as a kid. I was fat as a young adult. I was fat as an adult. And not just fat, I was morbidly, grossly obese um, in the medical sense. Uh, so much so that <clears throat> in 2003, uh, I wound up having ruin en y gastric bypass surgery. Because I was five foot eight and I weighed 380 pounds. And while you know, I'm, I'm not meant to be a skinny person, that clearly was not remotely a healthy weight for me. I'm very grateful that uh, I know it's a lot of people have that kind of surgery and it you know, doesn't work for them. It did work for me uh, in the sense that my weight went from 380 pounds to sort of in the 250 to 270 range um, for the subsequent 16 years. That's what my weight was like, but it's not what it was like and it's not what I was like. Um, i uh what it was like was that um it sucked i did not uh enjoy my life even a little um in the sense that i lived i inhabited a body that uh i hated and because that body felt indistinguishable from me uh, I hated myself and today I I describe my disease as this bone-deep conviction that I am a worthless piece of crap, that I have nothing of any value to offer to anyone, and that um, it would really be better if I had never been born, but since I was, I should really just kill myself in the most humiliating way possible by eating myself to death. Now. that was how i described my disease now but then i didn't know i had a disease i thought i was just a worthless piece of crap because the two hooks upon which my identity hung for my whole life were smart and fat i'm a good problem solver i'm a good understander of things i'm a good um i'm a good i'm a really good figure it outer I'm really good at figuring out a lot of things. But the other very important part of my life that I was unable ever to figure out was the fat, And that was the part that everyone could see all the time, or so I thought, right? I mean, they could, but I thought that like me, when they saw me, it was going to be the thing that they just couldn't stop thinking about. And so <clears throat> it became super important that they knew the smart because that was not, I didn't wear that on the outside of my body. And so like the smarter I got and the more I acted out being smart and wanting to you know, be the smartest person, the quickest person to the rightest answer and all that, it served me very well in my career. It served me, would have served me better in school if I had you know, done the work. Um, but um, it didn't serve me well at all with regard to what I later came to understand was my disease. Um, and I am a true compulsive overeater. <clears throat> I believe that I have been one for my entire life. The way that I know I'm a true compulsive overeater is that in a therapist's office about fifteen years ago, um, I had this sudden realization. The realization was what I would describe today as that I had an emotional intolerance that i whenever I was beset by unpleasant, uncomfortable feelings, I would eat until I was so physically uncomfortable that that feeling was all I could feel, and it just crowded out everything else. Because I didn't know what to do with those feelings. I didn't know what to do with anger or hurt or sadness or regret or grief or frustration or any of it. And I had a lot of that in my life. Because remember, I was also super smart. So I spent a lot of time, you know, being very judgmental of other people who were clearly not as smart as I was. And I said to my therapist, Tony, I really think that, like, when I feel these feelings, I eat until I'm physically uncomfortable because it just crowds all that out. And I remember him having this sort of, like, knowing smile as he said, "I, I think you might be right. And I was so excited. I said... Well, this changes everything. And nothing changed. Nothing changed until I found my way to this program. So that's what it was like. It was not fun. What happened was this. Um, In 2019, in February, on February 23rd to be exact, um i had been working for a couple of years uh at a foundation overseeing programs that supported entrepreneurs and at some point in 2018 in conversation with one of the many people in my life who was in 12-step recovery in the beverage program one of us or both of us together had had this idea that there should be something like AA for entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs sort of have the opposite problem of addicts. They're, they're entrepreneurs for as long as they keep not stopping doing what they're doing. But it is similarly hard, and they spend a lot of their time feeling like they're crazy, and uh, and feeling like they're alone, and like their experience is unique. And for many of them, it's terminally unique, which is why I'd taken the job. And, um <clears throat> So had on my, on my, I had a list of things to listen to when I have time. So when this idea came up, I went to my then partner uh, and said, hey, who, who was also in the beverage program. And I said, hey, I have this idea um, about a fellowship for entrepreneurs, sort of like AA, what do you think? And she said, well, I think it's, it sounds like a great idea. And I was like, cool. So what should I do? Like, what should I do now? And she said, well, you should read the big book. Now, I had encountered the big book in my life many times, and she had a couple of them at least lying around the house. And I had a couple of impressions of the big book, and one was, it was very aptly named. It is a very big book. The second impression I had was, it was perhaps the most written in 1939 book that I had ever personally encountered. So I didn't like that idea. And so I said, uh, is there something else I could do? Like, what's next on the list of things that I could do? And she said, just listen to a big book step study. There's a ton of them on YouTube. And I said, oh, that sounds much better. Will that take like an hour, hour and a half? She sort of chuckled and said, more like six hours. Okay. So that's how listen to a big book step study went on to my list of things to listen to when I have time. These are other things that were true on that date of February 23rd, 2019. I was uh, 48 years old. I was five foot eight still. Uh, I weighed about 265 pounds. Uh, I had brown eyes. I was uh, a devout agnostic. I was raised with no religion at all. No, no, was just. I mean, I went to Jewish nursery school, and after that, like, all bets were off. That's what happens when you let a four-year-old decide what religion they want to be. They're going to choose the path that allows them to watch as much TV as possible. So, um, but you know, smart, right? Good at figuring things out. So what I'd figured out, I thought, was I was pretty sure that there must be something out there in the universe. But however sure I was of that, I was much more sure that it had absolutely nothing to do with me. That um, that it was it was a it was a, a creative intelligence, whatever you want to call it. it was a, It was a thing that was about galaxy formation and black holes colliding. It was not about why can't Matt stop eating donuts. Um, The last, I think, relevant thing that was true on that date was uh, that I thought Overeaters Anonymous specifically was BS. Except I didn't say BS. And I had actually said this aloud. The one time that my, that, that partner I mentioned, the one time that we had talked about uh, Overeaters Anonymous, she asked me what I thought of it, and I said, I think it's BS. And she said, why? And I said, because step one is, we we are powerless over food, and our lives have become unmanageable. I am not anorexic. I am not bulimic. I do not weigh 900 pounds. I can get out of bed and fit through doorways. And I am not going to, like, binge eat until I actually literally burst something inside my body. So I'm sorry, but go F yourself. But I didn't say F. That was the contempt prior to investigation that I carried with me into that day. Now, none of this, and by by the way, like I just wanna, I wanna underline again how ridiculous that was given that I had eaten my way up to 380 pounds, nearly 400 pounds, and then had the kind of surgery not just where they like create a pouch in their stomach, but they rerouted a third of my small intestine. I was, and not laparoscopic, I was gutted like a fish on that table. So for me to have that judgment, that level of judgment was really quite something, but also pretty characteristic. So those are all things that were true on that date. And uh and that's what I carried with me into the moment when all of a sudden, thanks to high winds in the Midwest, I had taken a trip and I couldn't fly home. And so I had a 17-hour drive. And, uh, and so I went to my list of things to listen to when I have time, because that's a lot of time to fill. And Lord knows I couldn't let it just be filled with silence in my head, because that wouldn't feel anything good. And uh, right there at the top of the list was listen to a big book step study. And I thought, perfect, it's the perfect opportunity. Now, at this time in my life, I was not like looking to lose weight. It it was weird because it was like one of the rare times when I was, I was not quote, trying to lose weight. It was just not a focus of mine. I was at relative peace with myself, as much peace as I ever had. So I opened up my, I got in my rental car and I hooked up my phone and I went to YouTube and I searched. Big Book Step Study. And that's when the first miracle happened. The first miracle was that uh, YouTube is owned by Google. I use Google for everything and I had since there was a Google. And when I typed in Big Book Step Study, YouTube asked Google, hey, there's a guy here looking for a Big Book Step Study, what, what videos should I recommend? And Google said, who is it? And YouTube said, uh, it's this guy, Matt Fisher. Do you know him? And Google was like, Matt Fisher, Matt Fisher. Oh, I know him. Yeah, here's here's the first link you should show it. And right at the top of my recommended links, not an ad, but just like the organic search results was uh, Laurie C's Overeaters Anonymous, Big Book Step Study which is wonderful. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend it. Now I work in the digital marketing industry. So when I saw that link, and I knew that I had not asked for anything related to food, I knew exactly what had happened. Google was being helpful. Google knows me really well. And Google was just trying to give me what it thought would be most useful to me in that moment. And so my first thought was, that is not what I asked for, Google. My second thought was, I'm not gonna listen to that. I think that's crazy cockamamie BS. You know, like I I wanna listen to the real thing, the thing that I know works for people. But my third thought was, no, you know what? I should listen to that crazy cockamamie BS because I'm already in the tank for AA. Like I have a ton of people in my life for whom AA makes a huge difference. I don't need to be convinced that's a good idea. So if I can listen to this nonsense and sort of get it, then maybe my idea for entrepreneurs is a really good idea. So I thought, all right, Google, challenge accepted. And uh, 20 minutes in, uh, Larry was qualifying and he was talking about, I won't go into it because it's actually really gross even to say aloud, but he was talking about an incident he'd had with food And he was describing what it was for him to be a compulsive overeater. And um, I was listening to him talk about it. I did not relate to it at all because it was, I mean, it was so gross. It was nothing I'd ever done or ever could imagine doing. And I was thinking, I'm going to need to turn this off. I'm going to puke in this rental car. And that's when he said, For me, there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop and I can't stop from starting. And without even pausing to like idly wonder whether there were any foods like that for me, my brain immediately rattled off like six foods. I mean, just no question. Once I started drinking Coca-Cola, I couldn't stop. Once I started eating like the corner brownies made from the Ghirardelli brownie mix that I got at Costco, I couldn't stop. I took it so seriously that I had bought a brownie pan that was all corner pieces.
0: And it wasn't cheap. And I am. Six, seven, eight foods, I mean,
2: without missing a beat. And that was that was the moment. That was the miracle. That was when I realized that If that's what being a compulsive overeater is, that there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop and I can't stop from starting. I don't know how I can deny that's true. Denying that's true would be like denying that I have brown eyes. I mean, that is an observable fact about me. I look in the mirror and they look back out at me. But so does the fact that I, there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop and I can't stop from starting. And that was, that was it, that was the moment for me. And I think of that as being the doctor's opinion in like 17 words or whatever it was he said. For me, there are some foods that once I start, I can't stop and I can't stop from starting. And you know, it's funny, I'd read the doctor's opinion many times, uh, but it wasn't until this last go around in vision that we read the doctor's opinion that I caught the very last sentence. Um, which is, I honestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through, and though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. And that's me. I came to scoff. I came in predisposed to think this was crazy BS, and it did not apply to me. And, you know, looking to refute it in the interest of my own great solution for someone else and then suddenly realized i'm in and i mentioned that i wasn't looking to lose weight because you know we you'll hear people say you know i came for the vanity i stayed for the sanity that's not my story i didn't come for the vanity i wanted what i heard in his voice i wanted the serenity and acceptance and grace, and gentleness, and wisdom, and contentment that I heard in Laurie's voice on that Big Book Step study. I came for the sanity. It's arguable that I stay for the vanity, but. So, um, that's how I wound up in this program. Because of the way that I came in I mean, it was so abrupt and it was so unexpected. I just kind of um, started sliding down a mountain that I had no interest in stopping, even though there were times when it was a little disorienting or dislocating or even scary. Because I just felt like something was happening to me, not like I was doing something, not like I was, you know, I, I I didn't look. For, I wasn't looking for this. I didn't want it, but now I found myself on this journey, and the way that I went from being a devout agnostic to being someone who now prays on his knees by his bedside every single day to a god that he is one hundred percent sure exists is this: um, I didn't worry about. I didn't worry about the fact that, like, I didn't believe in God. I mean, I sort of, like, I didn't, I was like, well, I don't disbelieve in God. But, like, I didn't believe in a God that had anything to do with being a compulsive overeater. Um, I just trusted that I was going to keep doing what I was told to do and that things would work out the way they were supposed to, which was not characteristic behavior for me because smart, figure it out. Control everything, make sure everyone knows how smart you are so this was a this was a pretty new experience, uh, or maybe not entirely new it was a, it was a little like parenthood um, because it felt very out of control, but not in a bad way in a in a good way. The way that I came to the faith that works for me was I mentioned I had encountered the big book um, many times in my life before um the I didn't remember very much about it except the things I had said. You know, it's big, very written in 1939. But there was one other thing I remembered. I remembered that there was a chapter called We Agnostics. And that in and that was like the only chapter that I had sort of skimmed with anything remotely resembling real interest, because that's how I identified myself. And I remembered this line from We Agnostics. And the line is we finally had to accept the proposition that either God is nothing or else he is everything. And that line had just hooked me the first time I saw it. And I had, and and it had hooked me every time it came up, even before I wound up in this program. And I didn't know why, Um, but it was like the only thing from the big book that I remembered. And so one day I'd been in the program for, um, I don't know, maybe 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 a month and a half, two months. And I was in my home group meeting in Kansas City where I lived then, and uh, pre-pandemic, so this was a real home group meeting in real person. And one one Saturday a month, we read aloud from the Big Book, and it just so happened that we were reading aloud that day from The Agnostics. And in the meeting, I heard someone read that sentence aloud. We finally had to accept the proposition that either God is nothing or else He is everything. And I remember in the room, I wasn't the one reading it. I remember thinking, all right, genius. This sentence has always hooked you. Let's figure it out. Let's run a thought experiment. The rules of a thought experiment are, accept the literal truth of the proposition and follow that as far as it goes. Okay, fine. So absolutely true. God is nothing or else God is everything. I'm not saying I believed it. I'm just saying this is the rules of the thought experiment. It's absolutely true. Okay. Well, which one is it? Well, I don't believe nothing. So I guess everything. Okay. So what are the implications of that? Well, everything is everything. Like, I remember looking around, like, you know, the church pew over in the corner and the fluorescent light flickering and sort of bugging me above my head and the you're clicking and distracting me in the corner. Everything. And then I thought, what about you? And I remember there was such huge resistance in me to the notion that I might be part of that too. And in that moment, I flashed on like an old science fiction book that I had read, which I won't even tell you the the details of. It was a ridiculous science fiction book. But there was one part in it, again, that had always stuck with me. And it was where someone asked the mathematician whether they could explain something ridiculous with mathematics, like an apparent miracle that was happening, if it could be explained with mathematics. And if they could explain it, would it keep happening again and again, or would it only happen once? And the mathematician's reply was, I could absolutely explain it with mathematics and it would be much easier to explain that it would keep happening again and again because otherwise I'd have to explain the discontinuity. And of all things, that's what I flashed on that moment. Well, I don't want want everything to include me, but then I'd have to explain the discontinuity. And you accepted the literal truth of the proposition, Matt, so, Are you part of everything? And I was like, all right, yeah, I guess it includes me. Cool, so what are the implications of that? Well, I guess it means that everything that ever has happened in my life and ever will happen and is happening right now is exactly what's supposed to happen. Because if God is everything, then how could that work any other way? Okay, so what are the implications of that? Well, if everything that's ever happened is exactly what was supposed to happen, then what am I doing having all these feelings about all that stuff? And that was the moment when and this, so this all happened like you know whatever in you know less than 10 seconds in the room right I, but i mean i i had left the meeting room in my head i was just in down this thought experiment path and but when i got there if you know the, so if everything that's ever happened is exactly what's supposed to happen and that's true right now and it's always going to be true then what am i doing having all these feelings about that that was the moment when i was like i'm good i'm good this is a faith that works for me. God is everything. I'm part of everything. Therefore, in some way that I do not understand and and like, and like, I feel like it's sort of inherently a little arrogant to say it, but I trust you'll know that I don't remotely mean it that way, but like, I'm part of that too. And therefore, in some way I don't understand, I'm part of God, I'm part of that higher power. And that's the faith that works for me um the reason why i mean i it's funny i i i was going to try and you know tie this very closely to some parts of the big book and um if, if you've only read it once or you need a refresher or um you know you uh you ha- you've never read it and you want to know sort of what the source material for all this is i highly recommend pages 60 and 63 in how it works um and also of course the chapter we agnostics but uh 60 to 63 really kind of says it so last
0: everything
2: and uh which is not like super useful i'm not going to reference it but i will just say that um uh it's it's worth a read but the things in it that I really related to and relate to are, are the the, the ABCs. Um, one second, sorry. So in the middle of page sixty, our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. C, that God could and would if he were sought. Being convinced we were at step three, which is that we had decided our turn our will in our life, over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? And then what follows is three pages of honestly some of the most cogent, clear, direct, and actionable stuff in this entire book to me um i lived my life on self-propulsion prior to that moment my life ran on self-will and i thought that was good But i worked i worked in an industry that were like you know being a self-starter and having a bias for action and you know moving fast and all that these were all highly valued traits um and they may or may not be good or bad in that context, but um they certainly weren't serving me well in my spiritual life and I had not previously understood that um, not only that I was not a com that I was a compulsive overeater, but there was nothing good or bad about it; it was just like having brown eyes right it was not a it was not a failure of will or a character defect to be a compulsive overeater any more than it is a failure of will for me to have brown eyes if I want blue ones. It's just true or not true. And I was born this way. So clearly I didn't choose it. Who would choose it? And my parents didn't choose it. Who would choose it for their child? The the decisions that I would be, that I would have brown eyes and be a compulsive overeater we're not made by any human power. So how is any human power going to like change any of that? Address any of it? Allow me to recover from any of it? And so it just like for me steps 1 through 3 collapsed into kind of this single passage of like I'm definitely this thing. I really want to not suffer the ill effects of this thing. And so th- clearly I'm, I'm going to need, I, I now think of it as like, I need a source of power, but like, I can't solve this problem. If it's actually a problem, I can't change this thing about myself. If I could, I would have, Lord knows I tried, but it was just never going to happen. But sudden, and, and, and so like for my whole life, that what I thought of as that failure to correct this horrible character flaw became, well, it's not a character flaw. It's just like having brown eyes. And I'm never going to correct it because I can't. And so all of the shame and all of the guilt and all of the self-hatred and all of the regret and all of the sadness and anger and frustration, it all just fell away in that moment. When I realized if it was all supposed to happen, then like, it's all okay. And there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing bad about being a compulsive overeater. The flip side, by the way, is there's nothing. And again, for me, right? This is, this is what's true for me. There's nothing good about being recovered. It's not about success or failure other than those describing like meeting Desired criteria or not meeting desired criteria. There's no intrinsic moral devaluation or degradation in being a compulsive overeater, and there's no intrinsic, you know, holiness in being recovered. It's just either true or not true that I'm a compulsive overeater. It's either true or not true that I follow the steps to the best of my ability. It's either true or not true that I do my best to live in 10, 11, and twelve, and therefore it's either true or not true that I'm recovered. That's all. So, um. That's the faith that works for me. God is everything. Everything that happens is exactly what's supposed to happen. And it's all okay. I'm not the director. I mean, like, at first that seemed like bad news, right? Oh, my goodness, I have so much less control than I thought. But I got to tell you, giving up the reins of, of a horse that not only was far beyond my ability to control, but that weren't even actually connected to the horse at all, and thinking that every time I moved the reins and the horse did whatever it wanted, I sucked, to, oh, this isn't my horse and, and these aren't my reins. There was such relief in that. There was such relief in being able to finally simply acknowledge that I'm an addict. There's nothing wrong with me. It's just true that I'm an addict. I have an emotional intolerance, a physical allergy, and a mental twist. I didn't choose any of it. It's okay, because that's all part of what's supposed to happen too. The relief in that was so immediate and so all, I would say all-consuming, but that's sort of a negative connotation. It was like so pervasive that that's why I was like, all right, yeah, I'm good. This faith works
0: for me. Um, it doesn't mean, by the way,
2: like having had that realization, and I remember that moment so clearly, like saying, like, I'm good. Um, meaning, like, I am i don't need to look any further. I'm, I've, got, I've got a conception of higher power that, that is all that I need. But having the conception, you know, living in ten, eleven, 11, and 12 to the best of my ability, do not remotely mean that I live every moment in serene acceptance. I don't. I am still insane on a regular basis. And I define insanity as like an absolute refusal to accept what is obviously true and also being really upset about that. When I'm restless, irritable, and discontent, to me that's the same as I'm being insane. I have expectations that are not being met. That still happens to me all the time, multiple times per day, many times, but dozens of times per day. Living in 10, 11, and 12, for me, like the point of doing that is not to maintain a perfect state of grace. For me, grace lies in returning to grace. I stray off that mark all the time. The only only recourse I have is to do my best to do the work and pass back over it sooner than I would have otherwise. And if if insanity in my life is, you know, restlessness, irritability, and discontentment, then I guess sanity is expecting, um, making my expectations conform to life rather than the reverse. It is both acceptance and doing what is required of me. It's serenity. So... Um, I have to keep doing the work to, to come back to that place because, you know, I came for the sanity and that's kind of what I'm staying for too. The problem is that I'm still a human being and I still like have a vestigial brain at the base of my skull that's basically the brain of an iguana. And I am human. So I have perceptions of the world that are wildly inaccurate and incredibly incomplete all of the time. But the lizard's not very smart. So I see I perceive changes in the world that may or may not be real. The lizard demands an explanation so it knows what to do. Do I fight? Do I freeze? Do I uh, flee? Do I feed or Do I... Do the other thing. And so my, my, my smart brain spins up a story to satisfy the lizard because the lizard's actually demanding the story. And all of that's fine. That's all natural and normal and, you know, that's, that's, all, that's all cool. What's not cool is I forget that I'm not watching a documentary. I think that I'm sitting in the security center of a hotel and I'm watching all the monitors and they're giving me an accurate understanding of what's actually happening. And I don't like what I see, and I have feelings about that. The key is not, like, the feelings don't stop showing up. The key is that I need to reconnect to, the, to remembering this is not a documentary I'm watching. It's The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. It's not, you know, it's not horror exactly, but it's incredibly disturbing. And most importantly, it's not real there's nothing wrong with me spinning the stories. There's everything wrong with me believing them. because And by wrong, again, I don't mean like I'm a bad person. I just mean that is not consistent with returning to grace. I can't return to grace until I remember, oh, right, none of this has anything to do with me. A, I don't understand what the hell's going on in the first place. But B, none of it has anything to do with me. There's exactly one thing in every moment that has something to do with me. What is the next indicated right action? That's it. I'm a choice provider. I am not an outcome decider. The previous next action is no longer available, and the next next right action isn't going to be available until I make the next one, because that's the paper it's written on. So when I'm restless, irritable, and discontent, just a little bit more every day, I try and remember a little bit sooner that all of this is God's will, not mine, that's being done. And in fact, so I want to try and make this, I feel like it's gotten a little esoteric, but I want to to make it a little more real. Thy will, not mine, be done was my first prayer. It was the thing that I found myself saying very early in program, even before I had this conception of a higher power that when I found myself restless, irritable, and discontent, or even just a little tense, or even just found myself with a with an idle moment or two, usually I was standing when that happened, not always, but I would just take a moment, I'd clasp my hands together in front of me, not in prayer, but just holding one in the other, and uh take a deep breath, roll my shoulders back and aloud, or just in my head say, I will not mind be done. I will not mind be done. I will not mind be done three times. And before I had this conception of a higher power, I felt crazy doing that. Because remember I had prayed like, you know, five, 10 times in my entire life. And now I'm like standing, and muttering to myself like a crazy person? What are you
0: doing? But here's the thing.
2: It helped. It helped my restlessness, irritability, and discontentment. And I also didn't understand what those words meant at that time. It just made things better. And so that was my first prayer. Um, My first regular morning prayer was just to kneel by my bed I, at first I didn't kneel. At first I was like, eh, I don't need to kneel. It's fine. I would just like do it in bed, or I'd like do it sitting at the table or whatever, And I would just say the serenity prayer, because that was the only one I knew by heart. And then one day I heard someone, I think, on a recorded podcast, say that they had been doing the same thing, and then someone told them, "Just try it from your knees and see what happens." And it was transformative. And I was like, "All right, sure. seems crazy. It also seems like it seems crazy that that would make a difference, and it also seems crazy to me to do it. But hey, man, whatever. Let's, let's try it and see what happens. What's the worst that could happen? You can't get back up. So one morning, I tried it on my knees by my bedside with my elbows propped on my bed and my hands clasped together in front of me, and it made a huge difference. I don't know why, but you know, why is it an outside issue? It's not up to me why. So that's what I do now, every morning, uh, more or less. I, I I miss a morning, maybe maybe two or three mornings a month. I will miss. Um, although I do try every morning at least to kneel and say the Serenity Prayer, because now, like my my prayer practice has has grown and evolved, and um, it now takes you know probably a good ten minutes of of kneeling, which gets a little bit harder every day. Um, to get through the whole thing, and because what's grown over the last nearly coming up on three years it has grown from just being the Serenity Prayer to now it's like it, it's just like I would I would I would do whatever the prayers were, and then something would occur to me like you know I feel like I should add this prayer for the program, and so I would try it, and I tried for a few days, and if I felt like yeah this works I would leave it, and if it didn't I would change it because there's no right prayer. There's no wrong prayer. Praying at all is better than not praying and praying in a way that resonates with me and helps me feel better aligned to what my higher power wants for me. Yeah, that seems like a pretty good idea. So that's what I've done. As a result, it's now gotten kind (laughs) of long. And 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 I've like corrupted some of the prayers not corrupted but like you know some of the prayers that that are standard program prayers I've I've adapted to be more evocative for me of what I need to remember to maintain alignment with what my higher power wants for me and for me and just as an example the you know the serenity prayer even the long version it I, whatever you mean by the long version. For me, that was the version that goes, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, wisdom to know the difference. Please grant me patience for the changes that take time, a deep appreciation of all that I have in them, acceptance of those with different struggles, willingness to do what must be done, and the strength to get up and try again one day at a time. That's what I learned is the long version of the serenity prayer. But I don't say that prayer anymore. I say say the last part, but I realized that in the first part, it was more helpful to me to have a real reminder of of exactly the difference in scale and scope between the first two. What I mean is um I'll just I'll read it because it'll be easier. Um, let's scroll back up. So so now the serenity prayer I say is this. Dear God, I pray that you will grant me the serenity to gracefully, gratefully accept the endless ocean of things I cannot change. The unavailable choices I cannot make at this time, in this place, with these tools, or that are quite simply not mine to make at all. will encourage to change the symbolful of things I can, and to choose next not what I want, but what you want. Focus and strength to finish what I begin, once I begin, unless you and only you correct my course. Patient wisdom to discern the difference and to keep my attention on my next choice and not the outcome, because it is your loving will, not mine, that will be done in this moment, as it ever has been, as it ever shall be. And then I say the second part. And I'm not recommending that to anyone. I'm just sharing my experience, strength, and hope that that's what worked better for me. I still say the serenity prayer. I say it a ton of times uh, a day. Uh, Usually when I pause and pray, you know, at least a couple times during the day. Um, I'll I'll just say the standard short serenity prayer, but in the morning on my knees by my bedside, that's the one that serves me best right now. Um, there is something in that though that I that I also want to point out. I, I mentioned I used to say thy will not mind be done three times. I realized that um it helped for me to have an explicit reminder that that's, a, that's not just true right now. That it's always been true and it's always going to be true so now what i say is i will not mine was done thy will not mine i'm sorry i will not mine be done thy will not mine was done thy will not mine is done just to remind myself that yeah it's what's happening next it's what happened before but it's also what's happening right this second um I also say an anchoring and grounding prayer that just kind of came out one day to remind myself that you know, my faith is, that, is in a higher power that is everything and that I'm part of that and what that means to me aspirationally. Um, I say a first step prayer um, that, that just explicitly calls out, um, it starts by saying, God, I've been today that I'm powerless over my diseases and without you, my life is unmanageable. I surrender them all to you Um, I'm powerless over the food addictions and compulsive eating behaviors that keep me from feeling my feelings and being who I'm meant to be. And without you, my life is unmanageable. I surrender these things to you. And then it just walks through a few of the other issues that I find, you know, rob me of my serenity on a regular basis um, using that same format. Um, I used to have a whole thing that I did where I asked for willingness and power and grace, but now I, I... there's a thing that I that I cobbled together I think from a, a a book that's I think technically not accepted program literature so I won't mention it but it's a common book that people read about steps six and seven um that's a prayer for today. Um in fact just two days ago I, I skipped over this um I used to say the set aside prayer at the beginning and then I found that it, I didn't feel like it was it was, wasn't it wasn't doing it for me. Um and by the way, like I'm not saying this because like I think my prayers are better; they're just what feels more true and resonant for me. And there's no one grading my prayers. The, the, the ultimate grade for my prayers is: are they contributing to my serenity? Or are they contributing to my insanity? That's the only question that matters to me. Um, and so I, 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 I said something in a meeting based on something I heard in a meeting last week and wound up adding in what I what is sort of an alternative set aside prayer, um, that just starts out by saying, God, please help me remember today over and over and over again that I am an addict, selfish to my bones, suffering a disease of perception, unable to distinguish true from false, perceiving your world so imperfectly, weaving made up stories to explain it if I convince myself for real. Because I need that reminder. At least right now. I mean, it's been a few days. We'll see what happens next. Um, before I wrap up, I, there are a couple things that I, I just want to add. And again, you know, with with the newcomer in mind, um, these were misconceptions that I had, uh, that I now believe are not true for me. Um, I think of my internal spiritual space as as a as a room and inside that room is a table, and around that table are chairs. When I started this journey, that room was very small. It held a very small table, and there was only room for one chair. And what I felt like happened in my life was that you know uncomfortable feelings would show up, and there was only one chair. And so the same thing happened all the time it was that i wound up on my butt in the dirt on the floor and whatever the feeling was wound up in my chair and at that time this was pre-program you know because i was you know master of the universe i was the director that was completely unacceptable to me and so i started a mindfulness practice to like try and help address that and it helped the thing the thing that i i think i misunderstood the assignment though in both mindfulness and the program was I I had this notion that at some point on my journey of recovery, the feelings would stop showing up. I would just be less angry. I would, I would, I would, you know, I would have less sadness. I would, you know, be less frustrated with myself, whatever. What wound up happening the more I did the footwork was not that the feelings stopped showing up. They still show up with great regularity. It's just that the room gets a little bit bigger every time I do a little bit of footwork. And as the room gets bigger, there's room for a bigger table with more chairs around it. And so the difference now is that when the feelings show up, you know, it's okay. I can acknowledge that they're there and offer them a chair. They just don't get mine. And if they're going to throw food, they have to go sit at the kids' table, just on the other side of the room. So the the misconception that I had was that the feelings would, like, get different or stop showing up. And it turns out that's not the way it worked for me at all they still show up with straight regularity. I also had this vision that like, well, you know, when things do show up, I will just always respond with consistently better serenity. And that has not been my experience. Um, I mentioned at the beginning, I, I think, I meant to, that, um, you know, everything that I say should be, i taken taking with a grain of salt, but like any impression that I give that like, I live my way my life this way, every moment of every day is laughable because I don't. Um, and, and here's, here's, I think one of the best examples that I can give. And I'll probably close with this. So a few months ago, um, on a Wednesday night, I, uh, I had to go to Target. Um, there was a thing that I wanted to buy for my kitchen, like a particular kind of kitchen cart in a particular color. And you know, I'm very, my time is very valuable, so it was very important to me. Like I'm, I make this trip efficiently, so I used their app and I was like, okay, cool. Here's where that thing is in this store. That's the closest store to me. I'm going to go. I'm going to do a bunch of returns. I'm going to include some other stuff and, and get this thing that I want. So I go to Target. I do my return I hate the Target do my returns and which I also hate doing and then I get all the things and this was gonna be the last thing I got because it was sort of on the way to checkout and so I went to the spot where the app said the thing was and the thing wasn't there I mean it was there but not in the color that I wanted and I could feel rage building within me stupid target stupid app I pull up the app and I realize I had not checked the proper color they actually did show out of stock for that color. You'd think at that point, you know, it's all going to be fine, right? Now, nah. I realized, now brace yourself, this is really upsetting. I realized that what I to get what I wanted, I was going to have to drive 12 minutes to a second target. I know, it's really upsetting to hear. Certainly it was upsetting to me in that moment. Because what happened next was I very angrily, although not in a way that did harm because I went to the self-checkout, but I very angrily got myself checked out with the things that I was buying and stalked out of the store and just managed to get all my crap into my car and get inside the car and close the car door. And next thing you know, I am shrieking the F-bomb at the top of my lungs. I was so angry at myself. Because, again, I was going to have to drive 12 whole minutes to a second target. So uh, and he, but, so, here's the, so here's the amazing thing. Even as that happened, there was a part of me that was like, you're going to need to do a 10-step about this. This is nuts. Like, this is objectively crazy, what you're doing right now. Okay. So I did. I did a 10-step. Um, and, uh, and it was good. And then it was over right? I mean, I was, I was past frustration. I could see the the craziness of what I'd done and for the 12 minutes and um, got my thing and went home. Um, when I got home, I parked in the garage under my building. And uh, because I had my arms full of other things, I didn't carry in the thing that I had wanted to get because it was kind of bulky. I just left it in the back seat uh, and had my hands full and, you know, went to the elevator and you know, sort of juggled things in the elevator, and went upstairs, fine. So that's Wednesday night. Thursday morning, I had a dentist appointment. And it was really close to my my apartment. So five minutes before the appointment, I go down to the garage. There's no car. And I thought, oh, that's weird. I mean, I must have parked on the street. I must have have not parked in the garage. So I went up to the street, no car. And I thought, well, okay, I guess I parked in the surface lot. Maybe I wanted to pick up the mail on the way in. So I, I went out back to the surface lot, no car. My car was stolen out of my secure garage under my building. So here's, why am I telling you this? So remember the shrieking maniac of the night before and having to go to a second target, right? You would think this must've been quite quite a doozy. Nope, I, was, I remember being amazed on some level that I was just kind of like, huh, all right, I guess my car's stolen. This is probably gonna be a little inconvenient. I wonder how much it's gonna cost. But like, just kind of curiously, not with any stress or trepidation. Because the faith that works for me is, God is everything. And if my car's supposed to be stolen, then my car's supposed to be stolen. And even when I remembered that I left left the key fob in the car because I'd gotten in that habit and locking the door from the keypad, which I had probably forgotten to do because I had my hands full. Even when I remembered that, there was no moment when I was like, you know, wanted to be back in that car shrieking the F-bomb at the top of my lungs because it was just what happened. And it's okay. Because if God is everything and I'm part of everything, then how could it be any other way? That's okay, too that's that's why I came That's the sanity that I came for and the sanity that I stay for. Last thing I want to say to newcomers because I'm sure like it i know I know from talking to newcomers and new sponsors that it is top of mind. Um, I have also lost you know depending on the week fifty to sixty pounds in this program since I came in, and I maintain abstinence. And, all those things, yes. But I can tell you with 100% certainty that I would gladly give back every pound I've ever lost, all the way back up to 380 or even 500, if I could keep the sanity that I have found through this faith that works for me. Now, I'm not sad that no one's asking me to make that bargain. But, yeah, I mean, and I can't believe that I'm saying. And if you had told me three years ago, like, that that I would have a faith that worked so well that that was true, I would have told you you were insane. If you had told me three years ago that my car would be stolen, and I would literally, like, You know, I didn't spend a single moment even a little upset or resentful about it. I would have told you you were off your rocker. If you had told me three years ago that I could have the life that I have today,
0: I would have told you you were smoking crack. So if you're new,
2: keep coming back until the miracle happens. It happened for me. With
0: that, I pass. Oh, thank you so much, Matt, for your compelling, thought provoking, and inspiring presentation this morning. Such a beautiful message of hope and possibility. Thank you very much, Matt. Today's share ID 18266, that's 18266. Matt's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment with the time that we have left. You can pose a question, questions only, to Matt by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Mary Lee Lisa b from Oregon. Mary Lee, Lisa B. Star one to unmute. Danielle J. Danielle J. Sharon F. Sharon F. Okay, that's a good group. Thank you, everybody. Please mute except for Mary Lee.
1: Good morning, everyone. Mary Lee R. and Eugene, Oregon, recovered just for today. Wow! Could you please say your version or your your on your knees version of the Serenity
0: Prayer slowly, please?
2: Um, uh, yes. Uh, well, I, I'm I'm a little torn because um, I'm happy to do it. Um, I I will do it. I'll also say anyone who um, would like, I, I have it. It's all written down. Anyone who wants a copy of it, I'm happy to provide. And I'll have my contact information after the, the call. I'm also on the member directory on the Vision site. Um, yeah, it's uh, way to proceed. God, I pr- What's that?
0: Perhaps that might be a better way to proceed if they could okay. be in touch with you. That works. What do you think about that, yeah. Matt? That works for me. Okay, excellent. Mary Lee, perhaps you can be in touch with Matt and receive that. Thanks, just in the interest of time. Thanks so much. Okay, Lisa B., your turn.
1: Matt, hi. Thank you so much for your share. Um, my question for you is that I really appreciate your how you... Come to your faith. It's awesome. Um, or do you ever get derailed by other people's opinions or what you think they might think? That's one of my biggest things, and I get thrown like, "This is what my I might think, but what do they think?" Um, and how, if you do, how do you reconcile that, or how do you? How does your faith work with that? Thank you.
2: Sure. Um, so, I most of the time, most people I don't, which is. Not that new a phenomenon. However, um, some people, some of the time, and a very few people, a lot of the time, yeah. Um, and and I have other issues too with that are sort of related, which is like you know, um, people. It, it, it's it's sort of like anytime anyone is acting in a way, especially but not only toward me, that doesn't conform to my expectations. Um, that that hooks me a little bit, uh, or a lot. Um, so it helps me to remember a couple of things. Number one, um, if God is everything, which you know, like I can't prove, but I'm certain is true for me, um, then that's not. It's only me. It's also them. So I'm basically judging God and another person, which doesn't seem like a great idea to me. Now, it doesn't make, you know, it, I want to emphasize, like, that's not the same as saying, like, I feel bad about myself for doing it. I don't. I'm a human being. This is natural and normal. Like, I perceive that they're behaving in a way in the story I tell myself is it's all about me. You know, I, I, I am an addict. I'm sort of uniquely selfish, right? But, that like, believing in it being true is not the same thing. The other thing, though, that it helps me remember is this. Um, every day there are 86,400 seconds. That's been true more or less, uh, give or take a second or two, I guess, um, for every day of my life, which is now nearly 51 years old. Um, Out of all of those many, many hundreds of millions of seconds that I've been alive, I have spent every single one of them inside my body, my head, my heart, and none of them inside anyone else's. And, I barely understand what the hell is going on inside my body, head, and heart most of the time. There's all kinds of stuff that happens in here all the time of which I am not even remotely aware. And some of it results in things coming out of my mouth or showing up on my face. I have a terrible poker face. So spending all of my time in here and none of my time in there and having so little control or understanding of what the hell I do most of the time what on earth makes me think that I could possibly understand the smallest part of the smallest part, what's true for them? The last thing that helps me remember is, and, and again, that's not like I suck for doing that. That's just, that's normal human behavior, at least for this human. But the last thing that helps me remember is this. Um, I feel like the world sort of breaks into two groups of people, people who believe that is doing their best all the time and every moment with the tools and resources they have available, and people who don't. And I am definitely in the former camp. Um, and that includes me. Um, I do believe that everyone is doing their best in every moment, in every moment of choice with the tools and information they have available. The thing that I have to remember is they're doing their best. Not my best, and neither one of us is capable of doing better than our best. And my best often looks pretty terrible in her. So maybe I should just lighten up and accept that I probably don't really understand what's happening, and if I do, they're doing their best. And um, and usually that, which all of which is a long way of saying, I like I realize I could do a tenth step. Now. When I realize I need to do a 10th step, usually because it's like I've seen that movie before, (laughs) I know how that movie ends. Even though, I mean, it's like if there's a new Steven Seagal movie that's coming out. Like, I haven't seen the movie. It's not out yet. But it's a Steven Seagal movie. I've seen this movie before. All of my resentments are like that. When I realize I could do a 10th step, usually that alone, like, so eliminates my restless irritability and discontentment but i don't wind up doing a 10th step if i have to do one if i if there if it's still there after i realize i do a 10th step and if i'm still restless irritable and discontent after i do a 10th step i have more work to do either more inventory work or more likely i have boundary work to do and uh you know that's kind of a pain in the butt because it's more work (laughs) but if i want to return to sanity that's what i have to do so I hope that answers your question.
0: Thank you, Lisa B. Danielle J., star 110 mute. Hi, Danielle J. um,
1: from Washington State. Thank you very much, Matt, and thank you, Leah. Um, My question is, did you or, yeah, I guess did you, have um, trepidation or any kind of... Uh, uneasiness with the word God, not having anything to do with your faith or your conception of God, but the actual word. And if you did, how or do you you allow that to come through or get past that? So that's my question. Thank you very much.
2: Sure. Um, Thank you for the question. Uh, in, In a lot of my life, yes, I would have had a lot of disdain for the word God because it had religious overtones to me, irrespective of like, didn't matter which religion, right? Any, it had overtones of religiousness, which as I mentioned, I grew up without religion or faith. Like, didn't go to church, don't have any dogmatic faith of any kind. Um, and and have been disdainful at times in my life uh, of people who did and, um, and thought that was sort of weak-minded and, you know, whatever. Um, Fortunately, that had been sort of, I had grown out of that before I came to program. And so I just thought of the word God as being a symbol that connotes creative intelligence, higher intelligence, organizing principle, you know, great creativity, whatever you want to call it. Um, It was just, it was, it's just a, a word symbol that connotes something out there that I don't understand that is in some way shaping what's happening. Um, and that's, um, that's what, yeah, you know, I've, I've heard people refer to God as an initialism standing for great outdoors, good orderly direction. Um, you know, some people say higher power. It took me a long time to say God, I would say higher power, pretty consistently. Um, but yeah, as time went on, I realized it's just shorter. So, um, I guess what I would say is, uh, I, I heard someone talk about the fact that the, that the word God appears in the Big Book and and with a male uh, gender, and that that disturbed them for a long time. But then they realized that, like it, now, they just see it as a reminder of the fact that they choose their own conception of a higher power. It's not good or bad that it's in the Big Book that way. They just, when they're hooked by it, they're just like, right, right, I get to choose mine. And, uh, I thought that was
0: really helpful. So I pass. Thanks Danielle J for your question. Sharon F, your turn.
1: Buenos Buenos dias Matt. And this is Sharon F in Ecuador. And your share today was beautiful and it resonated with me so much. Um, my question for you is I'm starting a big book study on Tuesday of this this next week with two other fellows um, who have been isolated um, like I have been um, during these hard last couple years. And um, after opening the big book study with a prayer, what would you do if you were in my shoes, in my place, to start this um, big book study to propel in a really good way what would be like i've never done a big book study before in this way um just with a sponsee and so i i just want to um i just want it to be um very um i'm not expressing myself very well here but anyway what would your suggestion be after opening with a prayer as far as getting it started is is it a big book study or a step study
2: Like you're reading the big it's book or are you actually working the steps in th- the big book
1: no it's just going to be strictly um uh, what it's actually going to be what it's going to be but the um what i had planned was just a big book study we've been um the three of us have been isolated a lot and um mm-hmm. we live in different parts of ecuador
2: um okay so uh, i i don't i don't know that i mean what <laughs> Probably the, the most relevant, timely advice that I could share would be um, how I approached this talk. Um, right now I'm looking at a couple of dozen uh, index cards on my bed with you know, words and phrases and acronyms written on them that I jotted down last night. But um, I've realized that to be of maximum service and usefulness in sharing or speaking. Um, and, and, and I want to emphasize, like, that's not altruism. I, it's important to me to be of maximum service and usefulness because that's what keeps me recovered. Um, right.
0: It, it is,
2: It is. I really have to, I, try, I have to try and thread the needle of preparing sufficiently to be of maximum service and usefulness but not choking the life out of my higher power in the moment of, of speaking. So, um, you know, what, what you heard me say today was not scripted, but it was a little bit prompted and it did have a little bit of forethought, but mostly I was committed to just showing up and letting it be what it was supposed to be. And, um, that feels like the best thing I could tell you, but you know, I, I, I've never done what you're doing or been in your situation. So, you know, Please take what you like and leave the rest.
0: Thank you, Sharon. We have time for two more questions. Star 1 to unmute if you'd like to pose a question to Matt. Nadia B. Nadia. Anyone else? Star 1 to unmute. This is Deb. And Deb, thank you. Nadia, go ahead with your question.
1: Good morning, Matt, and thank you, Leah, for your service, both of you. Would you, um, You've you touched on the topic of prayer. Would you touch on uh, meditation and how you use it to get
0: in um, a closer conscious contact with God? Thank you
2: sure so just want to understand how i how i use prayer and meditation to maintain closer contact with god i right, I'll, I'll see that was specifically question. You're so,
0: specifically meditation
2: Matt. meditation okay mm-hmm. um well part of part of that morning um sort of prayer recitation thing um i mean the entire thing is meditative for me because it's the the parts that are that are scripted which is most of it, like I have it written out in front of me when I do it, partly because I have a bad memory, and partly because it changes, not infrequently. Um, and I like to be able to capture those changes in real time. But the parts that I know by rote are are sort of mantra-ish to me now. I just mean in the sense that they're, they're word and sound patterns that I can say without thinking about them, and the process of saying them creates Sort of occupies the talky part of my brain and and lets better things happen sometimes. sometimes crazy idle nonsense happens. Um, I do uh, I try to remember before I start that to uh, still on my knees by my bedside, um, take three deep breaths and say one word on each inhale or exhale. And what I'll say is, thy will not mine be done, thy will not mine was done, thy will not mine is done. Um, I guess it's actually probably 18, bro. <laughs> Um I, I try and do at least six and say the first part just to kind of anchor myself and, and place myself in that space of remembering what I'm doing and why. Um, the uh, But you know, meditation, as it's described in the big book, is not mindful meditation the way that we think about it today. Um, I, I do sometimes start with like a three to five minute, just, you know, mindful breathing exercise, uh, again, to kind of quiet the the chatter, but, um, step 11, I, I was going to touch on, I, I wound up not, um, I, so step 11, my morning routine is part of my morning prayer and recitation. Um, and part of that is, about asking for guidance and direction and reconnecting to the notion that I'm meant to be of service, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do also have a a daily review practice. Um, uh, I have some outside medical issues that make it really hard for me to do that at night. So I do it usually the next morning. I say usually, that ebbs and flows. So I do that very imperfectly. There are times when I will string together a month in a row. There are times when I do it less than half the time. But I do try and return to it As best as I find I'm able and that includes um, basically like a checklist of things like if I know that I know that if I do all of these things in a day it's actually red yellow green most of it I know that if this is green all the way down I will have had an amazing day and probably feel incredibly good that has never happened so that is a theoretical understanding only Um, usually that list is at least half red and yellow um, but it just helps me reconnect to what are the things that I can do that help me when I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. And really, what that means is how can I be a better service to my higher power by being of service to my fellows, both inside and outside the program. So um, I hope that helps.
0: Thank you, Nadia. And our final question this morning comes from Deb.
1: Hey, thanks for so much for your service, Leah, and it's good to see everybody. Um, Matt, this is Deb S., compulsive overeater, and I live in Michigan. My, I'm always working to uh, get that 10th step as deep and as effective as possible, and I was just curious if you would be willing to just share some of the words that came out after, like, that Target experience that you shared when you did your 10th step. Uh,
2: I, I don't know that I... I mean, I can tell you what they probably were. And, and, you know, what I mentioned, like, I've seen this movie before. All of my resentments are, are about, um, you know, I perceived that something happened, told myself a story that raised some uncomfortable feelings. And that really is intolerable to me. Um, when I I said emotional intolerance, that's what I meant. Um, I, I can't tolerate emotional discomfort at all. So the the you know all of my 10 steps wind up more or less the same which is like you know i was annoyed with myself because i was not following my script of being like both of being like a you know super mature and effective adult and also a good recovered boy and um i was being self-seeking because my pride and ego were invoked because i think i should be those things and i was being dishonest because I know that I was doing my best. And also I know that I am not ever going to be perfectly either of those things. And also it's all a higher power thing. It's not a map thing because what already happened is done. The, 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 could I have done a better job with the next indicator right action in the moment of picking the right thing in the app? Yes. Can I now? No, it's over, it's past, it's no longer available. So, and what am I afraid of? most of my fears boil down to the same thing, that somehow, like, I will convince myself that my disease is right, that I'm a worthless piece of crap, and that, like, I really should just kill myself and go back to the donut. I mean, like, that's, that, that, those are the broad strokes of every 10 step I think I've ever done. Um, and whether it's me I'm resentful at, or someone else, isn't really that different. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I hope that helps.
0: Thank you Deb for your question. Thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And of course, thank you Matt for giving so much of yourself this morning, offering us such a beautiful presentation. The share ID for today's presentation 18266. That's 18266. Time to close. And we'll do so from page 164 in a chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only, we realize we know, only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right